Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 93, where in a moment, we get to know the stock market a little better. That's today's show topic, and it's on the way, like I say, in just a second. But please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows. Because in our programs to date, we featured loads of stuff, pensions, investing, life insurance, and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last week, we looked at financial help for miscarriage, stillbirth, and neonatal death. Remember, we can drill down and focus on pretty much anything. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts, and that way you'll get us there. Like I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis, and with me as always, the star of our show, it's Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? Well, you know, I could talk about the cold, Phil, quite clearly. It's affecting me. But at the moment, I'm trying to embrace my my voice that sounds a little bit more like Andrew Marr. Uh, so that's that's what I'm going with. Hopefully, we'll get more listeners as a result of my sexy vocals. <laughs> uh, okay, so we've, we've spoken about um, various aspects of stocks and shares before, primarily through, you know, the likes of ISA products. I don't think we've ever just taken an in-depth look at the stock market itself, what it is, what it does, how it works. So this will be like our, you know, our ladybird book version of the stock market. So let's go straight in with the obvious. So what exactly is the stock market? Yeah, it should, should be a good show today. It was actually one of my mum's friends, a girl called Kelly. I think she'd asked my mum, she's like, look, can you get him to do a podcast <laughs> on the stock market? So I thought, really? yeah, it'll be a, a really good one for us to, to do. Probably the, the easiest way to, to describe the stock market, it's a place where shares are bought and sold by investors. And when I say shares, or sometimes they're referred to as equities. Basically what that is, is a unit of equity in a company. So you own a little bit of that company. Like a slice um, of the pie. Yeah, that's that's it. That's probably the easiest way to, to describe okay. like shares. So a stock market's just really a place where, where these shares kind of get bought and sold. So that's and, and what you find from the companies, if they make a profit, they'll pay out dividends to their shareholders. So that's that's what you're wanting to, to try and invest in in profitable companies. But again, I would say the stock market really is just a place where those shares and companies can be bought and sold. In, in the UK, we have what's called the FTSE, and that stands for Financial Times Stock Exchange. A lot of people might have, have heard of that. Often in the news, it'll say, oh, the FTSE's down. They never say when it goes up, but mm-hmm. if, if it goes down heavily, it's often in the news, so many billions wiped off your pensions and all that sort of that they come away with. But the, the most well-known of the UK stock market is what's called the FTSE 100, and that's the 100 biggest companies by market capitalization on the London Stock Exchange. So that's kind of like just a, a brief overview of what the, the kind of stock market is. Okay. And why should somebody invest in the stock market? I mean, what's in it for the people who do? I, I would say the, the main thing, what we've got to look at is, is how it's done over kind of time. And if we actually look over the last 120 years, I was reading somewhere, so I hope hope this information is correct, but I got an email the other day and it, it said that in the last 120 years, equities have returned around 8% per year. 
over that time. So generally, usually over a longer period, stocks and shares tend to, to do quite well. I mean, in, in recent years, we've had a bit more volatility due to things like COVID, the war in Ukraine, and now we've got the, the cost of living crisis impacting things as well. They're speaking about recessions at the minute, but generally over the longer term, equities and shares, they tend to do well, but it is important to recognise that you've got risks as well as the, the rewards there as well. Okay, well, let's let's say that I am comfortable with taking on a bit of risk, Phil. How, how would I go about investing in the stock market? There's a, a number of different ways that you can invest in the stock market. One one way is that you can use what's called a stock broker. They'll buy and sell stocks for for retail clients in return for a fee or commission. I remember when I was at school, I read a careers thing. I've probably mentioned this on previous shows. But <laughs> You had to fill in like details up or look at all the different careers and what you wanted to be. And I remember thinking, right, what makes the most money? And stockbroker at the time was the, the one I thought, right, that's what I want to do. As I got older, I had a look at the qualifications and I was a bit lazy when I was at school. And I thought, nah, I don't want to do five higher, so I'll, I'll pass on it. So I ended up as a financial advisor instead of a stockbroker. But another way that you can invest in the stock market is through a financial advisor or a, a wealth manager, what they typically tend to do is recommend funds that invest in a basket of shares or a basket of funds. Some of these funds will be managed by a fund manager and you get other ones that just track specific stock markets. They're called sort of tracker funds. And it's funny, I, I was going to say you've got like a stock market index, but when there's more than one, it's called an in, indice and that's stock market indices, just to, to sort of clear that up as well. That's a term I'll probably use a couple of times throughout today. Okay, I, I can tell there's going to be a lot of terms, index, indices, all of that. Um, <laughs> you, were, you were talking about stockbrokers there and was it wealth management? Wealth managers, I think yeah, you said. Like, uh, and financial, financial advisor, financial wealth advisors. managers. Yeah, so different names for slightly different things. But essentially, these guys, if you're looking at the stock market, these guys are the experts who are going to say, right, what you want to do is invest a little bit there and a little bit there and a little bit there. That is my recommendation to you. That's that's the sort of thing you're going to get from these guys. Where would you, A, go about finding them? And the sort of follow-up question to that, Phil, is are they completely impartial? I mean, if, if you're looking for a stockbroker, probably the, the a good place to find one. On the London Stock Exchange website, they, they've actually got a section, find a broker, so if you're looking for a stockbroker, you, you can find them on there. Different places, if you're looking for a financial advisor, again, so you, say you could do a Google search, but websites like unbiased.co.uk, quite good for, for finding financial advisors. But for actual stockbrokers, if you go on the London Stock Exchange website, they've got this find a, a broker section on there. And on, on there, it mentions you've got three different routes you can go down if you're using a stockbroker. The first one's called execution only. You've then got advisory or discretionary. And if I just go through a, a kind of brief summary okay. of each of those, a execution only is where you're telling your broker what shares you want to buy and sell. So it might be that you've maybe read your Sunday papers and in it it's got share tips and it says, look, we recommend buying this company or if you hold this one, sell. So a lot of people will, will do that. They'll, they'll read the, the kind of papers and get the, the tips from there. But you tend to find execution only, it tends to be more for people who are a bit more experienced and aware of the risks that they're taking. If you're buying an individual stock, 
then again, there's a bit more risk with that because it can go up. Or, I mean, you could do very well off of it. But again, if it doesn't do well, all your investment's not, not doing well if all your eggs are in one basket. Advisory, that's where you receive advice from your stockbroker about which sort of securities to buy and sell. However, they won't be able to trade without your permission. So they'll recommend something to you, but you've got to agree, yep, I'm happy with that. And then you would go ahead. Whereas the, the third option, discretionary, that allows your broker to buy and sell shares on your behalf. And what happens here is the broker, they'll usually have a detailed discussion with you about risks and, and your attitude to risk and, and stuff like that. And then with that option, they can actually act on your behalf and buy and sell things as and when they, they think is a, a good time. So and from time to time, they'll they'll send you, usually at least every six months, they'll send you an update on, on how your portfolio is doing. So the, the three kind of main routes, if you're using a stockbroker, you've got execution only, advisory and discretionary is the, the kind of three options you've got there. And yeah, just that, that follow-up question, Phil, are, are, they, are they completely impartial or are they, you know, are they going to try and take you down a certain track where it's going to benefit them as well? Again, what you'll find is that they'll tend to charge fees, so they might have like transaction costs. So it should they should be impartial, and again they'll they'll be doing research themselves as to to what they think. But a lot of people will use stockbrokers for the execution only, where they say, right, I want to buy this, I want to sell this. Sometimes you get people who almost accidentally become investors because they maybe inherit shares or they pick up share saves through work. I've seen that on, on quite a number of occasions as well. But yeah, they, they are impartial where they, they shouldn't be swayed by like any commissions that they get. I know financial advisors, the, the way it works, if, if somebody comes to a financial advisor, it's all fee-based. So again, completely impartial there right, as well. Okay. All right. So they're, they're giving you the, the, the best year. There's nothing influencing them. And, and that's how it works. Just the idea, when you say a stockbroker, and also you said, you know, you wanted to be a stockbroker when you were in school because it was because it was the <laughs> highest earning thing on there. Page two, I had assassins and burglars and all of that. I don't know if you turned that over or not. But no, the, the thing I was going to ask is, I think of a stockbroker probably stupidly as being one person. And it's not, is it? It's like, it's company, 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 company. They're huge, massive kind of organisations. Yeah. And when you, when you go to the London Stock Exchange and you, you, you look at these, do they recommend people in your area? I mean, do, do they say, right, okay, pop in your postcode and we'll recommend one close to you? Yeah, I mean, you, you've got, like, local companies. So, so I get, I mean, I'm, I'm based just outside Aberdeen. So if I typed in to Google stockbroker Aberdeen, it'll probably come up with some local options. I tend to find this maybe less and less of them these days. I know in the past I've, I've used Halifax. I've got a, a shared dealing service. That's one that I've I've used myself in the past. It depends what you're looking for. I mean, if, if you want to sit down with somebody and speak to them, I mean, I, I know fairly local kind of wealth managers and, and fund managers. So, I mean, they, you, you do have ones. I mean, I, I know ones in Aberdeen. I know ones in Edinburgh. You'll tend to find bigger cities will tend to have so, some of these sort of guys. Okay. So if you were looking to maybe meet with someone locally, you, you might have that option. Okay. All right. Financial advisors are another way that you can invest in the stock market as well. But the, the difference there is that they're investing in different funds. So they're not actually picking the stocks, but as a stockbroker, will be more actually looking at the, the actual comp single companies themselves, so to speak. 
Yeah. I, d- does that mean there's a difference in what you'll pay? So will you pay more to a stockbroker than to a financial advisor, Phil? Hey, it really depends. I mean, if, if you were buying, I mean, if, if I look at some of the pros and cons of like individual stocks. Sure. I mean, Let's do one, that. One of the pros is that you can sometimes have less fees doing it that way. I guess you've got the potential for, for higher returns as well. I suppose you've also got the, on the downside, you've got the potential for bigger losses if you're just investing in an individual stock. And I suppose another advantage of individual stocks as well is you've got complete control over what you're buying. It's easy to manage from a tax perspective. I suppose a couple of the disadvantages are you don't have the same diversification, which then means that you've probably got more risk there. So if someone was using a financial advisor and they thought, right, I want to invest in the stock market, financial advisor will tend to invest in a basket of funds. Mm. I mean, at our office, we often use Brew and Dolphin have got what's called a managed portfolio service. So it's great. They, they're the experts. So they, they're they the ones that are picking the stocks. And again, with, with stocks as well, you've got some fund managers. What they'll do is they'll pick individual stocks, whereas you've got others that will say, no, we're going to pick more based on the sector. We think like financial services companies will do well, so we'll go heavy on that. Whereas others will maybe say, right, we, we want to invest oil and gas companies, price of oil's rising, so we think they'll do well. So you different pe- different investment companies have got different approaches as well when it comes to the stock market. Okay, I was going to ring a little buzzer there because the word diversification came in and you always talk about when investing, you have to take into account how happy you are with the element of risk and certain levels of it. So for instance, the wealthier you are, I suppose, may heighten the level of risk you're prepared to take because you're, you're more comfortable with the possibility of losing a little bit more and still being wealthy. But where are the risks involved with the stock market? There's quite a lot of different risks. I mean, one thing I always say to people as well is that you've got to look at risk and capacity for loss. And it also depends how long you can invest for. So, for example, if your money's a lot of people's pensions are invested in the stock market, but they can afford to be there because Time isn't a, a big factor unless you're closer to, to retirement age. So for some people, their age could be a, a risk and time could be a risk. But other risks with the stock market, you've got kind of market risk. I mean, sometimes an individual company can be doing well, but if the whole stock market goes down, you'll probably find that company likely go down as well. You've got liquidity risk, credit risk, inflation risk at the minute. I mean, inflation just now is at something like about 8% at the moment. So that, that's a big risk for people. Another thing you can have is currency risks. So if, if you're investing in a company abroad, let, let's say their shares trade in dollars, if the dollar and pound moves, again, you've, you've, you might have currency risks there. So there, there's a lot of different risks when it comes to the, the stock market. And we've already briefly touched on that if you're buying on, in a single company, that could pose more risks, maybe more potential upside if that company did really well. And I do tend to find people like the idea of maybe having a basket of funds. So rather than investing in just one company, they'll think, no, I like the idea of having my money spread across a, a number of different companies, a number of different sectors. I know and for financial advisors, that would be what they'll tend to, to recommend. Whereas, like I say, stockbrokers often will be more individual sort of stocks that they're speaking to people about. This may seem like a strange question, Phil, but is this in a way 
a gambling of a sort? I mean, would I be as well taking the same amount of money down the bookies or better still uh, avoid the stock market altogether? I'd say, I mean, some people have done really well out the stock market over the years. I think there's a lot of evidence of, of that. You, you do get times where things will be, be up and down. But I guess if you're investing in, for example, a relatively unknown company, that's going to carry more risk. I mean, I, I know, to, to give you a good example, I, I know a couple of guys that work offshore and they often catch wind out, oh, this company's drilling in a certain area. So what they'll then do is they'll maybe think, right, I'm going to buy shares in this company. Might be a company that most people would never have heard of. Yeah. They're maybe drilling in beside the Falklands or somewhere like that. And then what you'll find is that if they're drilling and they don't find oil, the share price probably Bombs. go down. Yeah. yeah. But if they strike gold and, and find stuff, you, you might find the shares in that company might all of a sudden rocket. So I guess that, like someone like that, you're you know speculating a bit more with that sort of thing. I mean, I, I would say for for good long term investing, you want good profitable businesses, ones that over time are are going to do really well. So I know, like if if I look up some of the fund fact sheets or where some of the fund managers are investing, they'll be investing in big companies like Apple, the GlaxoSmithKline. They they tend to invest in real profitable businesses, ones that have got a good record in the past and ones that they believe will do well in the future. But again, you've also to look at trends. I mean, if, if we look in previous shows, we've mentioned things like, remember you used to have the, oh, what was the photography stores? Wasn't oh, it? Oh, like Pronto Print and things like yeah, that. Yeah, things the, like that. Yeah. And then you also Blockbuster kind of never moved yeah. in time. So Netflix kind of took over. So things change as well. But other ones, I mean, some, some companies that usually do well long-term, ones like McDonald's. You, you've got other ones I uh, mentioned, I think Apple there. So some people will think, right, I want to buy individual stocks in these sort of companies. Whereas others will think, right, I'd rather leave it to a fund manager, let them pick it and they, they can sort of sort things out for me. So, I mean, it sounds very much like, and I think you pretty much just answered this, but I'll, I'll do it for you again anyway. Is it is it better to invest in large companies or smaller ones? Do you know what? That's a good question because sometimes smaller companies, you, you get funds that are called like smaller company funds and, and sometimes they can actually outperform the larger companies because they're not restricted in so many ways, if you're buying shares in, in large companies, if the demand is really high, sometimes it can be a bit diluted. Whereas with smaller companies, they can sometimes make more profits because of their, their size. They can maybe move a bit quicker. So, um, so again, there's there's not really a right or wrong answer to that one. I guess with, so you say with smaller companies, you may be slightly more chance some of them might go bust. But then I, I guess you've, you've got that with big companies as well because it's, I've seen some big companies go down the tubes over the, the years as well. I mean, I remember um, during the banking crisis, Northern Rock mm. was one that at the time nobody probably expected to go belly up. But then when they did, it was anybody that had individual shares in Northern Rock would have lost a lot. Whereas mm. if you were invested in a basket of shares, yeah, that bit of it might have gone down, but at least you've got other ones that are taking away some of that risks. Is now a good time to invest in the stock market? Yeah, it's a, another good question. I would say like there, there's been a slowdown in the, the UK economy, so a lot of people will be wondering whether it is a good time to be investing in the stock market just now. We've got warnings of recessions, which that, that's really unsettling. But I would say analysis kind of shows 
it's far better to maintain a long-term view rather than trying to avoid market dips. Recession or no recession, trying to time the market is almost impossible. In an ideal world, you would buy during the dips. But in reality, there's no way of really knowing whether a stock market's reached the, the rock bottom or when it's starting to recover. No, nobody knows. So the, the practice, buy low, sell high, it's something that only professional investors should really be attempting. If you do that wrong, you could really miss yeah. some of the best days in the market, and then you could end up significantly worse off. So what, what I would say is rather than trying to time the market, a much better tactic is to stay focused on your long-term goals. And what I would say, recessions are a normal and, and albeit unnerving part of investing. I, I'd also say it remains true that investing offers great potential for, for great rewards. And what you're looking to do is for that money to give you a better return than cash over the, the long term. So so when I say, is it a good time to invest? I, I would say yes at, at the minute. As I've mentioned, the best way to try and mitigate the impact of stock market falls is to spread your money mm. across a range of different asset classes and range of different sectors. And, and again, in accordance with your, your kind of attitude to risk as well, because if you're not comfortable with things being up and down, then it's maybe the, the right thing for you. And, and again, you'll find different asset classes and sectors will tend to perform differently to one another in a range of different market conditions. And this can help smooth a portfolio over the, the longer term as well. And, and I'd already, again, briefly touched, but managing a well-diversified investment portfolio on your own isn't easy. Mm-hmm. And that's where getting some advice can help. So whether that's using a stockbroker to, to help you, a fund manager or, or a financial advisor, you've got plenty of people out there that you can go and speak to. Absolutely. Now, I've heard of a tracker mortgage, which is when your mortgage sort of repayments follow usually the Bank of England's rate and your, your tracker will promise yep. to never exceed like a, a certain percentage over that. So you always have a degree of, of certainty over what your rate is to give you a bit of peace of mind. How does the term tracker work when we're discussing the stock market? Because I've heard of tracker or index funds yep. before. So what are they and what's the good, bad and ugly regarding them? Yeah, I would say a, a tracker fund that usually tends to just mirror certain stock market index or indices. So it might be that you've maybe got a FTSE 100 tracker or American index tracker, and they'll tend to track a specific index or a number of indices, they're called. So the pros of that, you tend to find that they've got low fees. Quite often, they can outperform active management over time. I would say as well, they're easy to own, which is another kind of benefit as well. Some people think, no, you should go for an active fund manager or others, they, they often call it a passive where you're just investing in these funds that really just track the indexes. And what I would say that the downside to that is you don't have any control over the holdings. But for, for a lot of people, the, these sort of tracker funds are decent enough places for them to be invested. I'm just thinking you don't have any control over the holdings. For me, that's probably the best, the best option available. <laughs> Just before we get on to the sort of the, the crystal ball of stock markets, if you like, I wanted to ask because this is a, a question that people want to know, and they never they never have the guts to ask it. Phil, what is the sort of minimum that you can go in with and and actually do something tangible? What you know, how much do you need to get going in this? I, I actually had an email from somebody just earlier in the week. Um, I think they had a thousand pound invest. Do you know, like that? That's fine. I mean, you've got companies out there that will allow you to invest for 
£10 a month. It doesn't even have to be that. I mean, if, if you phone up, I mean, some stockbrokers might have a minimum, and I know a lot of financial advisors will say, right, we're only interested in speaking to folk with a minimum wealth of this or that, but there are ways you can invest with just small amounts. So don't don't be put off if, if you think, oh, I've only got a couple of hundred quid. Or but What I would say is you, you need to have an emergency fund, so any money you're investing, it should be seen as a longer-term commitment. So if you've only got a £1,000 in your bank and that's all you've got, you probably didn't want to be doing anything because you would need that money in case mm. of an emergency or rainy day. So, but yeah, the, the, you can invest with, with any amounts. There's ways to to do that. And can you can you look at it along the lines of okay, I, you know, I don't have a thousand pound, or okay, I don't want to touch my emergency fund, right? That's over yeah. here. That's a thousand pounds there. But over and above that, at the moment, I've got I don't know fifty to a hundred pounds yeah. per month that I could put on a on a direct debit. Can, can you go about setting things up in that, that fashion can, well? I mean, things like stocks and shares ISAs, you can set them up with, with sort of relatively small amounts. So, yeah, there, there's no real barrier. So, okay. I mean, like I say, some financial advisors might say, oh, we're only going to deal with people if you've got this level of wealth. But there are ways to I – mean, it's funny, one, one of the things we're actually building at the minute at, at my work is trying to get somewhere where people can go online – answer maybe a dozen questions it will recommend this, a certain investment they choose the amounts perfect bang they can do it the, themselves yeah. um but that, that's one thing i mean like the the business i own we we didn't like this i we, we didn't go against anybody for for level of wealth i mean that's one thing i i mean i know for me i was brought up in a council house and from a i wouldn't say a poor background but i i've always enjoyed helping people that, that kind of need the help so I, I know at my business, we, we didn't have any minimum level of wealth. So if somebody came along saying, look, I've got a couple of hundred quid to, to invest or I want to put away 20 quid a month or whatever it is, the, the guys will, will try and help people in that sort of situation. Brilliant, because that that is something that I think is you know prevalent throughout society is the them and us thing. And when you look at the stock market, you think, no, no, that's for them. It's not for us. Yeah. <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what I mean by that? Anyway, the stock markets, how, how do you see them going for the rest of the year, Phil? It's a, a tricky one to answer. I mean, we've still got some COVID concerns at the minute. It seems to have kind of in the news as much as it was. You, you've still got kind of the war going on in, in Ukraine. There's still some Brexit kind of uncertainties. So there's a lot still up in the air. The cost of living crisis as well is a, a big one. And, I mean, they are, they're, they're speaking about recessions and, and that, but what you often find with markets is they often price in things kind of beforehand, but that's a really difficult question to answer. It's fine. One of the things I was thinking, we should really <laughs> maybe do a competition and say, right, well, I, I've actually seen it. One of the newspapers, I think, used to do a competition each year where you had to predict the, the value of the FTSE 100 index at the end of the year, and they would have all these experts, but really... Nobody can tell where it's where like any... marble, marbles in a jar, isn't it? I know it is, <laughs> and again, that's it about like trying to time the market. Nobody knows. I mean, you, you might think, oh, I think things will go down. So, if you thought that, you might be put off investing. Well, people people thought that two years ago during COVID, and, and quite market still went up over periods of that. So, it's very difficult to tell how it's going to go during the rest of the year. Yeah, you don't have to know too much about the stock markets to be aware that they have, on occasion, crashed. I mean, there's been Black Fridays and goodness knows what. Tell us about some of those. 
Yeah, that's it. I mean, in recent years, we've we've had several periods where things have kind of tanked. In 1987, we had what was called Black Monday. Around about the early 90s, you had the, the Gulf War. I think that was around about 90, 91. So that had an impact on, on markets then. One of the biggest ones in, in my time in financial services was in the, the early 2000s. We had the dot-com bubble. I, I remember at that time, I was working in a building society and interest rates were, were higher at that point. It was hard to get people to invest because they were making all this money investing in. They, they were picking shares themselves and making a fortune out of the dot-com bubble. But gee whiz, when it went down, it went down big. And, and another one that we had in 2007, we had the global financial crisis at that yeah. point, the, the sort of credit crunch and, and that. And then, like I mentioned, even in the last couple of years, you've had COVID and Brexit to deal with as well. So... That's it. Markets are, when when you look at the graph over a longer period of time, you'll see some of the ups and downs. And like I said earlier as well, whenever markets crash, it's always headlines in the news, but they never mention it when things are going up. I mean, over the last few years, markets have done pretty well up until just the the last few months. But um, you never really hear that on on the news. You, You always hear it when things go down. But when things go down, as I say, it's a better time to invest now than it was a year ago, so it's, uh, it's hard to, to tell. Bad news sells better, Phil. Simple, it's, it it's, as, it's as simple as that, isn't it? You've mentioned before, it, now I always get this guy's name wrong. I want to say Buffet, but I'm sure it's Buffett. It's Warren Buffett, isn't it, on the podcast? Yeah. Uh, in the past, as, as one of the, the all-time greats of stock market investing. What are his big tips for it? Yeah, I mean, he, he owns a company called Berkshire Hathaway, and they're expert investors. And one of his great quotes is be fearful when others are greedy. And it says, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. <laughs> so that, that's one of his sort of legendary kind of quotes. And some of his tips, I mean, I, I listen to a lot of his YouTube kind of things. And one of them, he always says, never lose money. Sometimes that's maybe easier said than done. But <laughs> I, I suppose what he means by that is be prepared to hold things longer term. and Because you'd usually know that over the longer term, things will, will tend to go up. But other tips that he says, get high value at low prices. And he also goes on about forming healthy money habits. So you can learn a lot from, from people like that. I mean, he's hugely successful, probably the most successful investor that there's ever been. At one point, he was the richest man in the world. He's been overtaken now. But I suppose with some of these guys that get mega rich, it, it it's near the money that motivates them it's more success and that is it or then other kind of things come in to start to give a lot of it away well if i ever get there phil i'll tell you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know it's it's it is that question isn't it you want to ask the, the guy from microsoft you want to ask bill gates you want to ask branson you want to ask jeff bezos you know why yeah. why do you get up in the morning what is it that drives you yeah anyway here we go as we enter into the part of the show where you share your own life story. What have you got regarding this one and getting to know the stock market? Yeah, I mean, for me, I've I've always been comfortable with the, the stock market and, and investing in it and, and stock market investments. Personally, I, I didn't have much time to re- research individual stocks, so I tend to invest using investment funds. That, that's what I tend to, to do. I've got money in ISAs. Most of my pension at the minute is invested in the stock market. There's been times where I've, I've come out of the stock market and thought, right, I'll put more maybe into commercial property. But again, that's kind of gambling a bit more. Whereas at the minute, I'm happy just to have the money left in there, leave it be, add to it, 
fine. And but I, I suppose I know I've been involved in financial services for over 20 years. So I've seen ups and downs. I know how it kind of works and I'm comfortable, especially with my pension. I mean, I, I take quite a high level of risk with, with that, but I know over a longer term, we should do do pretty well off of it. Okay. Phil, we, we always do this bit as well. You, you find inspiration through various people you admire. You love a quote. I'm guessing we might be heading towards Warren Buffet again, but it let's have a look. A what Buffett have you got for today? Today, risk comes from not knowing what you're doing. I thought that's quite a good one. Yeah, research it all. Now, Phil is, is really keen on, on trying to help you with your financial queries. If you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if you prefer. Let's get on to this week's contact details in a second. Give it to you after these. Hi, Phil. I'm coming into the time of life where I'm starting to think more about my pension. I've diligently paid into a private plan my entire life as I'm self-employed, but I've never paid over the odds only what my direct debit increased by annually. I get a letter every year setting out some of my options at retirement, and I only ever give it a cursory glance because it looks like quite a lot of money on paper. But realistically, how can you tell? And if you're in the last 10 years or so of earning, can you do anything significant to bring it up to a level which is better? Yeah, what I would say here is I I would recommend sitting down with a, a financial planner because they can look at what your future goals and aspirations are I mean, they, they can also look and say, think, right, what do you need to live off when you retire? Because usually at that point, you, you then didn't have a mortgage to pay. You maybe didn't have the same debts going out. I mean, now I would say, you usually once you get to within, say, 10 years of retiring, you've usually got more disposable income at that point as well. So again, they, they can work out things like how much can you afford to pay in pensions and stuff, look at what your likely returns are, they can also help you work out what you need to do to get to where you need to be. So I I definitely say in that situation, that's a great one for somebody to sit down with a financial planner, have a look at like the situation now, what you want it to look like in however many years time as well. And they they can help you. They they use what's called cash flow modeling tools. So they can sit down and say, right, what's your plans when you retire? Do you want to go on a world cruise? Do you want to, travel, do you want to buy a big, a fancy car, a caravan to go around the UK, whatever it may be, they can look at all that sort of things and and tailor your plans and, and look at what you need to do to, to get there. Okay, and just on, on that subject, does this person go back to the people that they currently have their pension with and ask them to sort of appoint someone to direct that, or is it just go and find a financial advisor? They'll tend to find a lot of the pension providers a lot of them want to actually offer advice. They they'll right. just have the pet. You might have a pet. You might have had an old work pension with whatever company it is, and they they won't actually. Not all the time. A lot of them won't actually give you advice. So, but, but I would always recommend to people speaking to what's called an independent financial advisor or independent financial planner because they can look at the investments you've got with that company. They can also look at what other companies can offer. They they can say right how's the performance being, what's the charges on your plan, they can review all of that. So independent advisors have got access to the whole marketplace. So they they can look and see what's going to be the best option. They, not only are they looking at like your, your circumstances and helping you plan, but they can help you with the products that you're selecting and invest in as well. Brilliant. And this one is from Lisa and Solly Hull, who says, Hi, Phil. I know you always talk about the importance of having an emergency fund. We've done it today. As everything's going up in price, I've had to dip into mine a couple of times unexpectedly. It's not fully drained, 
but I don't think I can afford to top it up again. Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, I would say probably good to have a review of all your, your kind of outgoings, having a look at things. It's like, right, can you maybe downgrade your TV package? Can you save money by maybe changing your bank account to say a, a cash back account? So I, I would have a look through all your outgoings to see if there's ways that you can reduce your, your spending. It might also be that if you had a mortgage, you might want to review that. Any other debts that you've got, that, that's often worth kind of reviewing as well. If you can do that, you might find ways that you can just have a little bit extra money to build that emergency fund back up again. And a couple of previous episodes that, that our listeners might find handy in that sort of situation, episode 38 was one we had Wendy Fleming on and we spoke about managing your debt. And another one was episode 17, how to save money on your bills. Now, we probably recorded that one a year and a half ago, but <laughs> a lot of it's still relevant yeah. today. That's that's the, the beauty of some of these podcasts is some of them, they, they didn't really go that out of time. They're evergreen. I would just say as well, before you get in touch with the question, you might want to take a look at that back catalogue because we've covered a fair few topics so far, whether it was what we were talking about there or anything else, we may have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thank you for joining us for the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Or why not email Phil a question he can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question and Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured we won't use your real name if that's what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us and please follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Then you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Thanks, John. Hope you feel better soon. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.